0: it is officially saturday and we are back with another edition of the apologetics.com radio show and i'm your host jason gallagher and i will be with you guys for the next hour as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe apologetics.com has existed here on kkla for the past 20 plus years and we are a listener supported ministry wanted to let you know about a few things that are going on in the life of our ministry First off, we have our founder and director, Mr. Harry Edwards. He is uh, recently taken up a position as an executive pastor at a church in Orange County. And he is also, uh, during this time, transitioning to being kind of like a part-time, half-time support, uh, apologetics.com, you know, official salaried employee. And so we are in the process of trying to Uh, transition a little bit and raise a few more funds so that Harry can focus a little bit more on the Apologetics.com ministry and growing the ministry and growing the reach of this show, doing a little bit more with the online presence and behind-the-scenes work. So if you've been listening to Apologetics.com for any amount of time, uh, I would just encourage you to hop on over to Apologetics.com, click on Donate. We would uh, covet any support that you would like to uh, send our way, uh, just to help us kind of grow the reach of this ministry as Harry is kind of stepping into a more um, hands-on role. Harry has been uh, apologetics director for several years over at Biola University, and he's just been kind of faithful in the entire apologetics kind of community for Wow, since before uh, two thousand, the year two thousand really when he was a master's student at Biola, kind of started this apologetics.com thing as kind of a master's thesis project. And it's just kind of been this ministry that God has allowed to continue on all this all this time, all these years with lots of different hosts and God has done a whole lot through this ministry and he's gonna do a whole lot more. So we're really excited about that. And like I said, Please pray about it, and if you have a heart to support us, uh, we would be very appreciative. None of the hosts here actually take a salary. All the funds have always gone basically right back into the ministry to support the radio show, support various conferences and lectures and speaker engagements that we have throughout the year. This particular show is sponsored by my home church, Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I'm one of the elders there. We'd love to invite you out to come visit us. We're, like I said, in Torrance, California. We meet 10 a.m. on Sundays, and our pastor, Paul Vigiano, he's been a regular here on KKLA Sunday mornings, and you could hear him at 10 a.m. Uh, you could hear him—we're going through the book of Revelation right now, which is which is pretty great. Uh, pastor Paul comes at that from a more post-millennial perspective, so— probably a quite a bit different from some of the mainstream you know views on revelation and the end times that you might have heard growing up you know it's it's not the traditional not even traditional really uh historically you know the eschatology that we that we learn about in a lot of churches today has not been kind of the the mainstream view for the past uh, couple thousand years it's really been the last you know 100 Hundred hundred years or so that this kind of end times, um, pessimistic kind of view of the end times has really taken root in the church, and so Pastor Paul kind of comes at this. He's been studying this for twenty plus years, and he finally decided to jump into the Book of Revelation. Uh, so it's been probably his magnum opus in terms of you know his his uh, preaching series, and uh, we're right in the middle of it. And uh, just encourage you guys to either tune in online. Come join us Sunday morning and say hello while you're there. So we would uh, we'd be happy to see you. I wanted to let you all know about a conference that's coming up in November. It's actually November 17th through 19th, and it's going to be hosted at my home church, Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance. And it's called the Bonson Conference. We hosted one of these in 2015, and we're hosting another one again. We have some great speakers if you're familiar with the late Greg Bonson, he was a PhD student, he was a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, he was reformed, post-millennial and he was a theonomist. That was probably one of his more notable positions uh theologically, you know, which which basically is the position that he believes that God's laws apply today just as they did, just as they always have and and that they should be the basis for society and how society should be governed. And so we're going to have Thursday dedicated to kind of God's law. Uh, Jeff Ventrella, he is senior counsel and senior vice president for training for the Alliance Defending Freedom. I mean this this is a group that has been in front of the Supreme Court defending religious liberty. And Jeff Ventrella is going to be speaking Thursday night. Friday night, our keynote or plenary speaker is going to be David Bonson, who is Greg Bonson's son. And David Bonson is just hugely successful in kind of the financial market managing uh, director at Morgan Stanley for six years. He now runs the Bonson Group oversees over $3.5 billion in client assets. So he kind of has a great perspective on how to apply God's law and theology and Christian ethics to the area of economics and finance. And then Saturday our plenary speaker is Douglas Wilson. He's a pastor at a church in Moscow. You might have seen him recently. He made NBC news, you know, they were they were coming and interviewing him and saying, "Are you trying to make Moscow, Idaho into a Christian town?" And they kind of uh, gave him this term, you know, Christian nationalist and all these sorts of things. You could find that interview on NBC, and he will be our plenary speaker Saturday night. Um, and Saturday is dedicated basically kind of to eschatology. So Thursday is going to be God's Law. Friday is going to be presuppositional apologetics, which was kind of at the heart also of Greg Bonson's uh, theological training. And then Saturday is going to be dedicated to the topic of eschatology and post-millennialism. We also have Dr. Joe Boot— He's the founder of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Speaking Thursday, Pastor Paul Vigiano, our pastor at Branch of Hope, he's speaking Friday, and also Pastor Jeff Durbin. He's a pretty popular pastor, Apologia Church in Tempe, Arizona, and he's also you know very active in the abortion ministry he founded, End Abortion Now. They did it at his church, and also myself, I'll be speaking there Friday on. Uh, presuppositional apologetics and kind of engaging scientism um, and today's you know the the pervasive pervasive views in the scientific community today Uh, jacob daniel another one of the hosts here at apologetics.com will be speaking and then christopher nicewanger he was actually a apologetics.com host here for man 10 plus years probably he's kind of organizing the entire conference and will be speaking as well so don't miss that. Mark your calendars, November 17th through 19th. It's totally free, but registration is limited. So hop on over to com and register. With that, I wanted to open up, um, jump back in to a topic that I've been kind of, kind of meddling and kind of meditating on uh, the past couple months, and it's kind of this idea of science Uh, creation, and presuppositional apologetics. And it comes from Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1, verses 20 to 23. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So with that, I don't know how many of you guys might have heard, um, you know, the objection maybe when you're talking to someone or defending the faith that someone might say something like, I believe in science, right? I can't believe in God. I can't see God. It's too abstract. I believe in what I can see. I look around, and that's what I believe in, right? What I can see, what I can touch, what I can sense. So on tonight's show, uh, which you can call into at any time, by the way, uh, all our lines are open, we're going to take a kind of a presuppositional look at how that very statement, right? I believe in science, for example, how that very statement reveals that they know God And that they already believe wholeheartedly, adamantly even in many cases, in things which are not only immaterial but also have dominion over us and they demand that we submit to their dominion over us. Um, There is an authority that they exhibit over us and we actually submit to these kind of scientific laws all day long and we respect them. Uh, All people everywhere are already submitting to these laws, and these are God's laws, really, that we see in creation, and uh, they reflect God's dominion over them. So I want to kind of unpack that a bit tonight, and like I mentioned, we are a listener-supported show. I am rolling solo this evening and would love to chat with you if you have any questions or comments about the Christian faith, if you'd like to uh, discuss any questions or objections that you might have or you know if you just maybe you don't know maybe maybe you're listening to the show maybe you've uh, been a professing christian for a long time and you're having you're having doubts about your faith about what you believe you know there's so much going on in this world right now sometimes it can throw us for a loop and we just don't know where god is in the midst of everything going on uh, i'd love to chat with you i'd love to um, you know, hear hear what's going on with you. Uh, please call us 995 five fifty five fifty two, triple eight nine nine five K K L A. Don't be shy. You know, we're happy to talk to you. Uh, no question is a dumb question or a bad question. So, uh, pick up the phone and give us a call if you'd like. And so, my background, just briefly, I'm a vocational engineer. I got my engineering degree at Stanford University where I did graduate school, had the opportunity to work on, you know, space telescopes The James Webb Space Telescope recently launched. I've done a lot in the area of subsea vehicles, applied robotics, automation. I'm also a ruling elder at our church. I host this radio show. And, you know, I love evangelism. I've been involved in, you know, personal and Uh, you know, leading evangelism ministries at churches and teaching and equipping people in that regard uh, for the past 10 plus years or so. And, you know, throughout my journey as a Christian, I came across this methodology called presuppositional apologetics. And it really was kind of at Stanford where I took a class called Reading the Bible Today. And I thought, wow, how cool. I'm a I'm a young Christian. I haven't been a Christian for too long. I'm at Stanford and hey, I can take a religious studies course as kind of an elective. I can get college credit to to study the Bible more in depth. And I thought, "Wait, well, hey, what a great idea." Little did I know, uh the class, they really should have kind of put today in quotation marks, reading the Bible quote today. And the entire thrust of the class was basically to undermine the first, you know, five books of the Bible, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is known as the Torah or the Pentateuch or the five books of Moses. That's what uh, the Jewish people call it. And so this professor kind of set out to basically say none of this is real. None of this actually happened historically. It was basically this mythical narrative that this Jewish nation made up in order to give themselves a sense of identity, you know, that they could kind of pass along throughout the generations, you know, and so it kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, oh man, you know, how am I going to respond to this? And I, during that time, came across an amazing ministry. Many of you guys may have heard of it. It's called Answers in Genesis, you know, founded by Ken Ham. It's really a Creation apologetics kind of ministry, and their whole thrust is to basically uphold and defend the Bible, beginning from Genesis one. Right, Genesis one is probably one of the most attacked books in all of Scripture, and you know they set out. They say the Bible is our supreme authority in everything, every area of of life. And what I learned through their ministry was no matter what we're doing no matter what question we're seeking to answer you must always start with scripture scripture must be our starting point if you don't start with scripture you'll you'll never you'll 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 start off on on the completely wrong foot and so whether you're talking about science whether you're talking about ethics or morality whatever it is you must start with scripture that has to be your starting point which basically is the foundation for you know what's called presuppositional apologetics. You know It really comes down to biblical authority. You know the most important distinguishing feature is really that biblical authority. And so a presuppositionalist, right They accept the Bible as God's inerrant, infallible, authoritative word, and hence it it's their ultimate unquestionable standard. By which all truth claims are thus evaluated, and so you know what the what this doesn't mean is that the Bible is exhaustive in all of its truth claims, right? There is truth to be found outside of Scripture, right? The uh, you know the Bible is not a science textbook. It's not going to give you you know the equations of motion, for example. It's not going to give you laws of thermodynamics, but it it does mean that there, you know, anything that is true must be consistent with the Bible and it cannot contradict it. So if we find something, if we come across something that's contradicting what has been revealed to us in God's word, you know, what we have learned that that thing that we have learned that contradicts scripture must be, you know, reevaluated or relooked at. Right? It also doesn't mean that they're not secondary standard by which certain truth claims can be tested, right? So there are, you know, the scientific method, for example, um, uh, the laws of logic, we we can test truth claims simply by applying the laws of logic to them. The laws of logic are not delineated in the scriptures. Those are things that we have come to discover and come to learn and understand this is the way God has made his world, right? The laws of logic apply in this world because God has spoken them, right? They are a, a reflection of the way God thinks. Uh, they are a reflection of the mind of God. And, and so c- those are some of the kind of basic foundational aspects of uh, presuppositional apologetics. So the Bible gives us all of the foundational truths necessary for us to discover any and all other truths. And Greg Bonton you know, so I kinda came it kinda relates to this Bonson conference that's coming up at our church and you know, I kinda came through um presuppositional apologetics to understand Greg Bonson, through Ken Ham, through Answers in Genesis, and you know, really in thanks in part to that uh Bible class I took at Stanford University. Um there's a great, great quote from a book uh Greg Bonson wrote called Presuppositional Apologetics Stated and Defended, and it says this. It says, Hence the Christian alternative to the hopelessness of autonomous reasoning is revelational epistemology or analogical thinking. And it says this requires beginning with God's word as the most certain truth available to man and basing all reasoning upon it. This authoritative word is not to be subjected to verification by human reason before being accepted. Human reason human reason makes sense only in terms of God's revelation, not vice versa. So the Bible does not appeal to human reason to justify what it says. And so the idea there is that our our very ability to think and reason is dependent upon God creating us and God upholding us and God and the way God has made this world, right. We don't come with our human reason autonomously it's a, like, and bring our reason to the Bible and then, like, analyze the Bible according to my human reason, right? I'm completely fallible. All of us are completely fallible. And for us to hold ourselves up above the Scripture as if, as if we can—we're the ones who say, okay, yes, uh, the Scripture is sound— thanks to my reason i you know and therefore we we bless the bible as being god's word no it's completely the other way around god's word is the the source of truth the source of um all of our all of our reason and thinking and we must come to it in that way um greg bonson also spent a great deal of time explaining how a non-christian can know things uh, while refusing to admit that God exists right men can behave as though they believe god exists and some of the th- some of the things men do is um, they believe in objective truth right they believe that there is objective truth out there that is knowable that we could that we could uh, ascertain it we could understand it and we could we could kind of grasp it um, in a in an evolutionary world view if if you just try to um you know, think about that. You know, there sh- there is really no objective truth, right? Y- people are just bags of stardust. They're bags of chemicals, and we're all just kind of fizzing uh, to our chemicals, right? If you were to pop open a, a soda can, a Pepsi or a Coke, it's going to fizz, right? It's going to sit there and-, and bubble around. That bubbling effect is just chemicals, chemical reactions. That bubbling effect isn't truth. It isn't false. It just is. And so, if we are just bags of chemicals, which that's all we are, we don't have a soul, we're not made in God's image, we're basically just evolved bags of chemicals, then we're all just fizzing. You know, I'm fizzing one way, you know, uh, a Muslim person might be fizzing another way, a Hindu person is fizzing another way, but it's all just fizz. None of it's really true, none of it's really false. It just is what it is. And so, there is no basis for objective truth. Nothing is true, nothing is false. So as soon as someone claims that there's objective truth and they begin to argue with you that your truth is wrong and theirs is right, for example, they're actually abandoning an evolutionary and they're actually stepping into a Christian world, uh, a Christian paradigm. And that's how a man exposes that they, while they might reject God, uh, they're not living in that way. Right? Uh, another way in science is they depend on the uniformity of nature. They, they, they believe that tomorrow is going to be like today, that the future will be like the past, that we can make predictions. right. Again, in an evolutionary worldview, everything is subject to change. Everything's changing with time, changing over time. What And so that would apply just as well to any scientific truths, anything we learn scientifically, it could all change tomorrow. right? We could be flying in an airplane. And the laws of aerodynamics could change at a moment's notice, but we don't live that way. We we live as if these laws are going to be the same when we get on the airplane as they will when they get off the airplane. If we didn't believe they would be the same, we would never step into that airplane. And so these are ways, you know, Greg Bonson spent a great deal of time explaining how people can be self-deceived, where – with their mouth, they deny God, but in when they actually live, they're living in a world that only makes sense if God is behind it. And uh, so, Greg Bonson writes this: He said, "A non-Christian can claim that God does not exist, then, and nevertheless be said to know that God indeed does exist. So deep down, they know it, right? This is what Romans one says: that all men um, are without excuse, for although they knew God." They neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him. So it says they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. So right there in Romans 1, that's kind of one of the presuppositional foundational verses is that says, although they knew God. So what does that mean? Every man everywhere knows God. They're just suppressing it in their unrighteousness. Um, Greg Bonchen con- continues, um, you know, the apologist need not fall back upon false and impossible claims to neutrality, nor utilize the hostile presuppositions of the unbeliever. Rather, he drives home the Word of God, so he continues to stand on the Word of God, and it says, forcing the rebel to see that he is living on borrowed capital. So the idea is that you're going to expose the fact that you're, you're living according to Christian presuppositions, you know whether it's believing in absolute truth, objective truths, or believing in science and the inductive principle like we talked about. Those are all ways that you expose their living in a Christian world while at the same time they're denying it, and you call them to repent, to repent and believe uh, the gospel, to to stop their suppression of the truth. And so that's kind of the, uh, the starting point. And so in light of this truth, you know, One of the things Greg Botson highlighted is is you have the Word of God, so you you presuppose the truth of the Word of Christ in Scripture. Alongside of that, you have what he calls the inescapable self-revelation of God in nature as well as in man's conscience, right? And so kind of the intersection of those two things is kind of what I wanted to spend some time looking at this evening, right? What I call the intersection of the truth of God's word and the inescapable self-revelation of God, right? And that kind of happens in Romans 1.20. You have the truth of God word, God's word saying that um, through the creation, through the study of what has been made, you can actually understand things that are true about God. And it sounds like I'm hearing some music, which means we are coming up on the edge of our first break. So I will leave it there and catch up with you all right after these short messages.
1: The mission of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio on the internet and now in the life of the mind conferences if you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air on the web and in events near you Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. Take your faith
2: back to the boardroom, back to the classroom. That's Alan Jackson with a call to biblical leadership. You could have access to Alan Jackson's messages by winning an Apple iPad Air plus hard copies of his books. To enter, log on to kkla.com, keyword trouble. When you log on, you'll receive a free download of a chapter from his new book, Big Trouble Ahead. Log on to kkla.com, keyword trouble. That's kkla.com, keyword trouble. You grew up listening to the music of Alice Cooper, but did you know that he became a strong believer in Jesus Christ? Greg Lurie tells his story along with many other rock legends in his new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus.
3: Alice Cooper, he had a a rock of cocaine the size of a softball And he started to snort that rock of cocaine and he became so out of it, he looked in the mirror and there was blood coming out of his eyes. Alice said to me, I knew I was going to die. And he said, and it was at that moment, I called out to God and God heard my prayer and transformed him. And now when you talk to Alice Cooper today, you can't believe he lived that life. He's such a transformed person. Order your copy of Greg
2: Lurie's new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice and Jesus, at kkla.com keyword books that's kkla.com keyword books kkla.com keyword books all right let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show
0: all right welcome back to the second half of the apologetics.com radio show my name is jason Gallagher. tonight we're talking about the intersection between the truth of god's word and the inescapable self revelation of God through the things that have been made, and just to kind of uh bring that a little bit more into focus we're we're really looking at romans one uh, verse uh, Romans chapter one verse twenty right for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were they are without excuse. And so we talked about in the first half kind of the, some of the foundations of the presuppositional kind of apologetic method where we, we stand firm on the truth of Scripture, and we hold that up, and we do that in such a way to expose the fact that men, all men everywhere, actually know God. They're living in a way that reveals that they know God exists, even while they might be verbally or intellectually denying it. And so I kind of want to unpack this verse here, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, okay, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse and so we stand firm on this on this scripture, and so the way we do that is when we're talking to men, we assume this scripture is true, so we assume. That all men already have a clear view of who God is simply by living in God's world, simply by seeing the created world around him. And there is a, a sense in which this happens in a general way and also in a more detailed way. For example... You know, some of you may or may be more or less uh, scientifically inclined. And um, before we get too far into this segment, I did want to throw out our number. Um, I'd love to chat with you if you have any questions about uh, the content, or you just have questions about the Bible in general. Maybe some questions or objections. Uh, please give us a call. We have all our lines are open. It's a it's a wide open night tonight. I'm here in studio. Um, no, no guests in studio tonight. So I'd love to chat with you and you can call us at triple eight, nine, nine, five KKLA. That's triple eight ninety nine five 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 two. five, 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 two. Okay. So consider something, consider an aircraft, you know, a really cool fighter jet or something like that. You, you see it fly at an air show. You see them flying through the sky really fast, really loud, And they're just amazing. You look at those just vehicles and you're like in awe of the engineering and the technology and the power and the speed and all of those things. And so you can actually learn something about the the, the people that have made that aircraft. You'll never see them. You'll never touch them. But you see what they've made. They've made this amazing aircraft, right? And – it's fast. So, you know, they know a bunch about engineering. They know how to make things fly. So, obviously, they understand aerodynamics. They understand physics. They understand, you know, metal. They understand fabrication. They're smart, right? They're intelligent and they put it all together. And so, you have this general awe for the creator simply by seeing what they've made. And you could also, so, you know, things about them. And so, that's how you can see. Invisible attributes intelligence you know um, it looks amazing it looks cool, and so they have all these uh, in- invisible attributes that you see of the creators simply by seeing what they've made now that's kind of a, a general level now suppose you know you you go to Lockheed Martin and you talk to some of their engineers and they show you some of the blueprints for how all the parts go together and you look at how uh, detailed design they are and how they all fit together and you look at the electrical schematics and all the different electronics that are on there and dimensional tolerances and all the you know hydraulic actuators and how everything works together and the control systems and how it's keeping this aircraft stable in the air because of the feedback of the software and you start to realize, oh my, like, the ingenuity the engineering is even more amazing than i thought when i just saw this thing flying through the sky you know while i was you know standing on the ground and so you kind of you get a a detailed level of the intricacy of it and you know that's kind of an analogy and you could look at around at the stars the animals the various ecosystems working together but then you could also dive into the inner workings of a human cell. You could read books on it or, you know, people have dove down deep into human DNA or physics or chemistry or neuroscience and you learn an incredible more amount of detail about the creator, okay? And so you begin and just like you have respect and awe for the creator of say that fighter jet, we should have that same sort or even more sense of awe for the creator, the one that's actually sustaining our breath right now, the one that is keeping our heart beating, that has created our, our eyes and our ears and our, our brain and everything, right? Uh, we should give glory to God in all of these things, yet we don't, right? We, it says in Romans 1 that uh, people neither uh, gave thanks to him nor were thankful. They didn't glorify him, but they became futile in in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, and so I want to say, how can we just jump onto this Romans one twenty verse and really apply this to the people around us, especially those people who say, "I believe in science. I don't. I can't believe in things that are that I can't see that are out there, um, that are abstract, you know. But I can believe in what I can see. I can. I can believe in what I can touch and taste and smell and sense." and all of these things. Well, I want us to be able to see how we can move from those people who love science, find some common ground to show them, well, if you love science, you're already believing in many of these things that you are kind of trying to distance yourself from. Um, And so I want to look at, you know, some of those, some of those attributes, some of those characteristics like when we you know when we talk about looking at the blueprints of you know a fighter jet or something i want to look at some of the blueprints you know these scientific laws so to speak and see what they can tell us about the creator and see how we can use that to talk to people to to share the the truth of god's word with them and ultimately to to share the the gospel with them so uh, before we do that, I did want to hop on uh, the phone lines here. looks like we have a caller. Winston, uh, how you doing? You're on the air with apologetics.com.
3: Well, yes, uh, this is Winston uh, Majors. Um, I was calling concerning—I uh, don't know who the preacher was at around 11.30.
0: Okay, not me.
3: Now, now uh, what he said was— uh, I'm trying to figure out what, what what was he really trying to say. He was speaking on uh BLM and then he spoke on about the police being defunded now. Okay. To my to my knowledge uh from the beginning of time uh, uh and then he got to talk about how uh, the, when the when the police was defunded how black uh, peoples are still killing in the streets now that's been going on since the beginning of time and and uh, I thought that us as as uh, as Christians we're not supposed to talk about how uh, uh, what about BLM or any other uh, association uh, 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 I felt like we we shouldn't be talking about stuff like that because we supposed to pray for those peoples because Second, T- Second Timothy three one speak on mm. all of the things that's happening today. So mm. the pre the pastor that was speaking on about uh, BLM and about the police being defunded and it didn't matter because uh, the the Uh, uh, black people are still killing uh, Mm. in the streets even after the police was defunded so why would that I mean I I don't believe that has anything to do with God's word okay and I can't understand why the preacher would speak on something of that category sure because uh, you know I, I can't understand that. I, I feel like that was really uh, devastating to not only me but mm-hmm. to a whole lot of people that was listening to the preacher uh, say things like that.
0: Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that, the question. I appreciate uh, the question. Let me um, let me let me take a couple minutes. I'll try to uh, you know respond to that and give you some of my thoughts. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Winston. I appreciate the call, man. So Winston had a question um, about uh, BLM. There was a preacher on the air uh, earlier about 11.30 p.m. um, talking about BLM, talking about how uh, they've – you know, something along the lines of defunding the police and, uh, you know, black people are still killing each other in the streets and you know winston uh i appreciate the question i think it's it's very heartfelt and i kind of i i hear what you're saying and the truth is you know like you said men have been killing each other (laughs) since the beginning since adam you know cain and abel really right the sons of adam and eve so and it's not it's not Restricted to race or ethnicity or skin color or anything like that, it is like you went like Winston mentioned. It really is just the sin that is in all of our hearts, right? All of us have the capability to to do harm to to murder. You know, Jesus even said, um, "Hatred in your heart toward your brother is murder," and so none of us are really above that. You know none of us have the the market cornered on morality, and you know all i could all I could surmise or think is that speaker that preacher is probably seeing maybe some things take place in the world, maybe in in the b l m movement that he disagrees with maybe he sees something unjust um, in the b l m movement Maybe in some of the rioting, some of the destruction of property, and also you know the killing—you know, killing that did happen in the name of, uh, I guess, BLM during the riots, where there was police officer ki- officers killed or store owners killed, and that's terrible. Um, you know, no, no organization should be wanting to uh, pursue or partake in things like that. And all I can say is. People need the gospel, you know, uh, whether you're BLM, uh, whether you're not BLM, um, we all need the gospel. It, You know, it's not like uh, on the right hand side is is people, you know, BLM and on the other side are non-BLM people. And, you know, one of them's going to heaven. The other one's not because they're associated with some group. That's not the way it works at all. Uh, people can be associated with BLM or not associated with BLM and both both be headed for hell uh, or both be uh, headed to heaven, and it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with uh, where we place our faith and who we place our faith in, and uh, that faith has to be in Jesus Christ. You know, we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God, and we are in desperate need of his grace and his mercy that grace and mercy has been extended to us in Christ, right? And Christ calls all men everywhere to repent. He commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, and to put their faith in Christ for forgiveness. And ultimately, that's kind of the main takeaway. And hopefully, that's uh, what that preacher uh, was was focusing on. Uh, back to our topic at hand. Appreciate the call. Uh, if if you have other questions, you want to call in also, um, feel free, 888-995-5552, that's triple eight nine nine 995 kkla And so I wanted to get back to this idea of God's invisible attributes being clearly seen through what's been made, and especially in this area of science, right? And so uh, there's no specific order to these things that I'm going to kind of unpack for you guys, but... Um, God's scientific laws, right? Let's just pick a law. You know, I'm more kind of uh, in the mechanical world, physics, uh, mechanics, statics, dynamics, those sort of things. I'm not in chemistry. I'm not in biology. I'm not looking at cellular stuff. I'm looking at more physical stuff, things like like rockets and planes and automobiles and things like that. And so I, I kind of tend to use you know analogies in in that regard. But uh, these laws, like when, you know, what science is in the business of discovering is laws, right? Um, there's laws of motion, let's say. One of the s- simplest ones is, you know, everyone knows, or a lot of people know this, distance equals rate times time, right? If you're driving 60 miles per hour for one hour, you're going to travel 60 miles. It's a simple equation of motion, right? Um When an apple falls to the ground, you know, uh, the force that it hits the ground with, you know, is is basically the mass times uh, the acceleration. And so uh, the apple weighs, you know, 10 pounds. It – not a 10 – that's a pretty big apple. Half a pound, you you know, that's how much it weighs because that's gravity pulling it down to the earth. Um, That's one of Newton's laws of motion. Okay, So let's just take something like that. You know, Newton discovered gravity. And the the law of gravity is not limited to times or locations, okay? No scientific laws are limited in that way. There's no scientific law that's like, well, it's going to apply tomorrow, but it doesn't apply today. You know, uh, the law of motion applies yesterday, it's going to apply today, and it's going to apply tomorrow, right? And just like God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So just in this simple law, you start to see some of the attributes, the invisible qualities of the one who made it, the one who made this law. Just like when you uh, look at an airplane, you see all the detailed intricacies, you could start to see, you could learn things about the people who created it, you know, their intelligence, and so on and so forth. Well, laws... They apply yesterday, today, and forever. That's the same as God. They also apply; they're not limited in space. Okay, so the same law of motion or gravity that applies to the apple that I'm holding, you know, in my hand, so to speak, applies to uh, the apple that you're holding on the moon, or you know, the the rock that you're holding on the moon. Um, you apply the same equation. So, and then it applies at Pluto. It applies at the farthest applies at the sun it applies at the farthest reach of space so these laws aren't limited in space so there's like an omnipresence to them and so it tells us some things about the one who created them so it do- it's kind of beyond time you know yesterday today tomorrow it's not limited by time and it's not limited by space so there's an omnipresence um so th- Then the time aspect, there's kind of an eternality to them, right? Uh, It's another attribute that's rightly attributed to God. And so scientists who believe in the universality of laws in time and space, they are coming face-to-face with the reality of something that is real and also possesses the qualities of omnipresence and eternality. Okay, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the same is true of these laws. You know, the person who says, I believe in science, I believe in what I can see. Okay, so the law of gravity, guess what? You can't flee from its presence, right? If you if you go to, to space, the law of gravity is there. If you're here on Earth, the law of gravity is there. If you go under the Earth, the law of gravity is there. If I go to the remotest part of the sea, the law of gravity is there because God is there. And God is sustaining his entire creation uniformly. Throughout all of the universe, and so you you come face to face when you when you when you come and live in this world, and you love science, you're actually coming face to face with the attributes of God, and you cannot escape them. Just like you cannot escape the presence of God, um, another quality of scientific law is tied up in that very word law, right? It's a rule, right? It doesn't change. It is unchanging. It is immutable is another word for unchanging. And God is unchanging. God is immutable, right? Um, The future will be like the past. That's the idea, the inductive principle, right? If a law changed with time, it just wouldn't even be a law anymore, right? If it changes, it would never get to the status of being a law. When we call it a law, we're calling it that because it's Immutable. It's unchanging. Um, Psalm 102 tells us that they will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you, God, remain the same, and your years will never end. So you have this unchanging immutability of these laws that we discover and uh, that exist all around us. Laws are also immaterial and invisible, and that's That's one of the greatest things. When someone says, hey, I can't believe in God because I can't see him, but I love science and I believe in science, right? Well, guess what? Everything science is in the business of discovering are laws, these equations, and these laws are, guess what? They're immaterial, they're not made of matter, and they're invisible. You can't see them. You can write them down on a sheet of paper. That's just writing it down. That's not the law the actual law, the real law that exists, isn't what you just wrote down on paper. Like if you if you destroy that paper, it's not like you've destroyed the law that it represents. That's just a, a mathematical representation of it. But that law is invisible. You'll never actually see it. And it's the same because and it tells us that's how our creator is, right? He's immaterial. He's the invisible God. Right? Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Right? You can see the effects of it around us, just like you see the effects of God all around us. We don't see gravity, right? But it acts on us 24-7 whether we like it or not. We don't see the aerodynamic equations known as Bernoulli's equations. We don't see those acting on the wing of the aircraft, but it's the equation that describes why the air is flowing over the wing in such a way that causes the plane to lift off the ground, right? We see the airplane fly but we don't see the law responsible for making it fly. So just like God, scientific laws are immaterial and invisible, right? And so that's something we should try to, we should try to press home with people when we're talking about this. So they say, I only believe in that which I could touch and taste and smell and see and sense. Well, guess what? Everything we see, all the light that's coming into our eyes— well, that's all described by the science of optics and light and refraction. Everything we touch, you know, we feel it with our fingers. That's, that's the laws of motion. That's Newton's laws of motion, equal and opposite reactions. Everything we smell, you know, we have chemical receptors in our nose that then send, like, electrochemical signals to our brain. So you have, like, electrical, you have chemical and this is happening in our nose. When we taste something, it's more chemical reactions. It's chemistry. All of this can be described with scientific laws that scientists have been studying for centuries, and they understand to a very, very you know, exacting degree. And so when we see and touch and taste and smell, guess what? <laughs> We're actually you know, doing those things that are invisible, that are unchanging, that are timeless, that are omnipresent – And so when you love science, when you love all these things that you can touch and taste and see, you're actually saying, I love these immaterial, invisible ways of interacting with the world, all of which point to and reflect the creator. Laws are also truthful, just like God is truth. The law of gravity isn't going to lie to you, right? It's not going to try to trick you. It always tells us the truth, Um, just like God, who is himself truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Scientific laws are powerful. You're never going to change the law of gravity. It's got a omnip. It's got an omnipotence to it that we cannot change, no matter how much energy we try to exert. Um, we have to. We have to conform ourselves to it, right? We we respect the law of gravity, right? We know the law of gravity is easily going to br- crack an egg for us if we drop a egg, you know, from three feet tall, three feet high. Law of gravity has no problem taking that down to the floor and cracking it for us, you know. So we respect gravity. We don't jump off buildings. We don't jump out of planes without parachutes. You know, we wear our seatbelts because we respect the laws of motion and force and equal and opposite reactions. And so we respect all of these laws that God has placed over us because they have immediate consequences if we violate them. And this is how you could then transition to the gospel to. The fact that, well, God has created all of these physical laws, they're immaterial, they're invisible, and you're subject to all of them, and you respect them. Well, God has also created laws which govern our behavior, govern our morality. We want to live in conformity with those laws, because if we violate them, as we talked about earlier, BLM, murder, you know, that gentleman who called, you know, the wages of sin is death. There are consequences, just like violating the law of gravity, there's consequences. There's consequences for violating God's moral laws. And God says, you know, no liar will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. And, you know, the thing that I think men and women, you know, the reason they don't respect them the way they should is because these these punishments, we don't immediately get thrown into a lake of fire when we lie. God gives us time. God gives us time to repent. God gives us time to turn to him. But in his word, like we're standing on as presuppositionalists, we know that if we die in our sins, we will perish. And that is why we trust God's word and we say, listen, I don't want to perish. I want to turn to the one who can give me a parachute. Christ is our parachute who protects us from the wrath that is to come, the wrath that we deserve. You know, just like gravity is gonna pull it, pull me down to the earth and, you know, kill me. You know, that's not because gravity's mad at me. That's that's just the nature of gravity. And God's nature is such that He cannot dwell in the presence of sin. Right? And so we need protection. We need something to save us from coming into the presence of a holy God and while we've sinned. And so the the protection that God has given us is His Son, Christ. The righteousness of Christ, which He covers us with, will protect us such that we can come into God's presence, in His holy presence, and dwell with Him forever for eternity. And so that's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to think about. Uh, I pray that you would do that. I pray if you have questions, please email me, jason at apologetics.com. Uh, Thank you, Cole, for being on uh, the switches tonight. And thank you for tuning in and listening. We appreciate you, and we will be back here next Friday night at midnight. Until then, keep the faith.